0: The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. The majesty of Christmas. I can remember as a teenager uh, going to get my mother a present. Uh, my mom liked Thomas Kincaid paintings. Many of you remember how popular those were in the 90s and Going into the two thousands, even still today, I would imagine many of you might have one of his paintings. Some of you uh, hanging in in your house. And I remember in the mall. Remember the malls had the little uh, art galleries there for Thomas Kincaid Gallery stores. And and walking into that store and seeing all of those paintings from Thomas Kincaid, and one in particular. Remember a lighthouse, and it was a. Sort of a quaint cottage that was put up on a, a rocky cliff with a stone lighthouse there and the waves crashing into the cliff. And, and if you know his paintings, bright sort of pastel colors, a, a pathway leading up to the lighthouse with flowers on, on each side of the pathway. And in the sky, the, the bright orange even sunset, the light, amazing how he could capture in his paintings such light in, in darkness. Uh, the contrast, even of all of the colors, there, there was something about his paintings that, that that gathered a lot of attention, even during his lifetime, from a mass group of people, unlike some, unlike many artists, even experienced within their lifetime, uh, the popularity of his paintings. Uh, you, you you look to uh, his paintings and. And they're real, but in a sense they're almost better than real because they're more colorful. And the brightness and the, the shades that he uses, it it captivates your attention. You're drawn into the painting. You you sit and notice every little detail. And as you look longer, you, you see more. You may say of most of his paintings, his early paintings especially, a lot of them had the character of majesty about them. Uh, a, a splendor of beauty that, that sort of captivates attention, that, that draws you in. The majesty of Christmas. Now my mom did not get one of those canvas paintings from me. She got a little coffee cup, I think, with it printed out on it when I, when I saw the price of one of, one of those costs. But, but there's a majesty in the beauty of creation even, whether that's captured in a painting or standing before the Grand Canyon or watching the sunset that draws your heart and soul into it. The beauty, the splendor of character, of quality. What is the majesty of Christmas? Is it the lights? Is it the poinsettias? The beautiful decor? Is it the gifts under the tree? Is it the man in the red suit and his elves on a shelf? Is it the family gatherings? And the time spent with one another. Or is there something that all of that merely points us to? Something more profound, something more majestic, something deeper? Of course, we all know absolutely, yes, there is. We could look to many different stories within the scripture, many different perspectives to look to the majesty of Christmas this morning. We, We could look to Mary and see Christmas through her eyes, or Joseph. We could look to the shepherds or the wise men. We could look to the innkeeper. But I think more than any other, the one who captures it best for us in God's Word is that of the Apostle Paul. Uh, The Apostle Paul had a perspective in a way that was much greater than even being there at the manger scene. Because there at the manger scene, they they were in awe most definitely. They were amazed at all that was transpiring, but little did they understand the full extent of all God was accomplishing there. All that was beginning to be accomplished in the coming of the Messiah and the Christ. Whereas the Apostle Paul, just as we can look back now, he looked back upon it all. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote these words recorded in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-11. through 11, And they come to us actually as a sort of parenthetical statement, as a side note, as he's giving an admonition that we're to let the mind of Christ, that mind of humble obedience that Christ exhibited to the Father's will, we're to let that abide within us. But that's not the point I want us to turn our attention to this morning. I want us to turn our attention to what he writes as he he sort of gets sidetracked as he thinks about the humility, the obedience of Christ. And he gives to us this grand description, a theology even of Christmas, a grand divine understanding from the large picture of all that God was doing, all that God accomplished through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to set before you the simple story of Christmas of what God truly accomplished through the birth of the Messiah, of the Christ, in regards to the full extent of His life, and most especially His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And much like we would stand before a beautiful painting and be captivated by the majesty of it all, my prayer is that we would stand before this Gospel story and just be mesmerized once again. Not let the familiar become so familiar that we lose our sense of awe in it all. As we celebrate it every year, as we celebrate it even every Sunday that we gather. Uh, Don't let it become so commonplace that you fail to just gaze at it and be captivated by the uh, magnificence, the beauty, the splendor, the majesty of it all. So first, notice verses 6 and 7 what is called the condescension of Christ. Now, there's a good $10 word. If we're going to talk about majesty, we've got to use some big words this morning. The condescension of the Christ. That Jesus became man. That, that God became incarnate. Paul says Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Think about these words for a moment. Jesus being in the form of God, being a state of, of existence, that Jesus clearly proclaimed that He was equal to God, that He had equality, that He was co-equal, co-eternal, co As John 1.1 was read a moment ago, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, the Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the very form of God, the very essence, the essential character, nature of who God is. Christ is that. Jesus did not come into being there at His birth that Jesus came actually to earth. He actually took on humanity, took on human flesh through the incarnation, through the birth, but prior to Mary conceiving and giving birth to Him, He existed before all things. He was there in the very form of God. He says he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, meaning it wasn't something he had to, to grasp at to say he was equal with God, he was God. Also meaning entailed in that in the Greek is that he he didn't count that as something to hold on to, to, to hold so dearly that he would not come, but he did, as we read in the Following verse, verse 7, but he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. That Jesus was truly God. And that Jesus, as fully God, became fully man. He made himself of no reputation. Literally rendered, he emptied himself. He said, What did he empty himself of? Did he cease being God when he became human? No. He still was God. He still said, you see me, you see the Father. He still knew the thoughts of people. He still had power over nature and creation in a way that only God can manifest that such power. Jesus did not cease being God. What did He empty Himself of when He came to be born of the Virgin Mary? He emptied Himself of the glory of heaven, of the glory of God, the splendor that was His in in that place of of, of exaltation there in heaven, he prays about it even in John 17 and verse five, as he's thinking forward to the crucifixion and resurrection, He prays God glorify me again with that glory that he, he left there in heaven. That's what he emptied himself of. He emptied himself of that sti- uh, that, 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 that status, that, that title even of deity there, the glory and splendor and riches of heaven. Why to come to this earth to take on humanity, human form. That's what the word incarnate means. To take on human flesh. That God became man. He did not cease being God, but He became fully man. There's a divine mystery in it. the God, man, fully God, fully man, there born and conceived of the Virgin Mary. That is what we celebrate at Christmas time. The coming of the Messiah, of the Christ. He took on the form of a slave. He breathed our air. He sweated as we would sweat. He slept as we sleep. He grew. He hungered. He thirsted. He felt pain and sorrow. He he felt betrayal. He felt things that God is God... Could not experience experientially, but as God now became man, he, he the scriptures say he became our experienced high priest who is able to sympathize with us in all of our all of our afflictions, all of our griefs. He became a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, it says in Isaiah. That, that God became man. Jesus fully God and fully man, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Hebrews 1 and verse 3 speaks of Jesus being the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power. Colossians 1 verses 15 through 17 says of Jesus that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now don't get confused by that title, firstborn, and Go off on some heresy that Jesus was the first created being that God the Father created. That's not what the scriptures teach. That's not what the church has historically stood upon for over 2,000 years. From the very beginning, it has been well established. Jesus did not view himself as the first created being. He viewed himself, and so did the early church, as the second person of the Trinity. As God the Son. There with God the Father and God the Spirit, co-equal, co co-eternal. He became flesh. He took on human flesh. That title, firstborn, deals with the place of authority and prominence. He was the one who created it all. and He is the one who sustains it all. And that's what 1 Corinthians 16 and 17 go on to say. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist condescension of Christ, that that God became man, that he condescended to our lowly state, to our even experiences of suffering. Secondly, notice verse 8, the humiliation of the Christ, that Jesus came for a specific reason, Jesus came to die. And that's what John or, or Paul points us directly to here. He does not point us to the miracles that Jesus performed. He does not point us to the great teaching that He revealed God through the Sermon on the Mount, for, for example. Paul doesn't turn to all of these great works of Christ. He turns to the greatest work of Christ, the work for which He came. That Why would, would God become man? Why was Jesus born? It says in verse 8, and being found in the appearance of a man, He humbled Himself And he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. We'll never really understand the majesty of Christmas until we come to understand Christmas in light of Easter. We'll never understand the... The, the beauty of, of Jesus being born there in that manger until we understand the blood that Jesus shed at Calvary, at the cross, for your sins and for my sins. To realize He was a baby who was born to die. He came to give His life a ransom for the sins of many, for the sins of any and all who would turn to Him and believe upon Him. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death of the cross place of the skull, Galgotha, that hill where Jesus was beaten and mocked and spat upon and nailed to a tree of wood where he gave his life. Now that sounds so peculiar and strange and even foolish to most people around us to think that we would celebrate not only the birth of Jesus, but celebrate the birth of Jesus because of the death of Jesus. Those that don't understand the cross Paul says the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who don't believe. Those who don't see it think it's foolishness that we would celebrate bloodshed, that we would celebrate our Christ, our Jesus, being rejected and being crucified. But for those of of us who understand what he accomplished there at Calvary,
1: for those who know
0: all of the Old Testament and the teachings that we are sinners, dead in our trespasses and sins, that None are righteous, no, not one, that all we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone turned to his own way. And we understand our inability to save ourselves, our inability to to undo the wrong that has happened the wrong that we are. we, We can't make ourselves just before a holy God. When you come to understand just how depraved humanity is and just how condemned we are before a just and a holy God, it leads you to a place of hopelessness and helplessness until you come to see the beauty of Christ crucified, that God did for you and for me in that moment what you and I cannot do for ourselves, that God made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him, that at Calvary, Jesus took your sins upon Himself. He became sin for us. He paid the penalty that you and I deserve. He paved the way through which sinful man can be reconciled to Holy God. When you come to understand the the beauty of Christ crucified, you see the beauty of Jesus coming in a manger in a totally new light. See it in a much greater light. A much greater beauty. He humbled Himself. Became obedient to death. Even the death of God the cross. That Jesus came as a baby born to die upon a cross for your sins and my sins that we might be forgiven and be redeemed. And then thirdly, lastly, notice the exaltation of the Christ. That Jesus was raised to eternal glory. Therefore, verse 9, because of Jesus' faithful obedience to God and His death upon the cross, therefore also God has highly exalted Him. And he's given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and even those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Lord to the glory of God the Father. (sighs) Psalm 1610, the Holy Spirit wrote and Jesus claims these verses about himself. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. We celebrated every Easter on that third day. What happened? God raised His Son Jesus to life again, to to glory, to a glorified body. He did not leave His Holy One to decay. The resurrection of Jesus is the the validation, the vindication, the evidence that Jesus truly is the Christ, that what He did at Calvary truly atones for your sins and my sins. And because of, of Jesus' faithful obedience, His humbling Life of obedience that led to even the death at at Calvary. God says, I've exalted His name above every other name. But Jesus can rightly proclaim, and only Jesus, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. You realize every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee will bow. Some, sadly, narrow is the way. Few will bow in this life, but all will bow someday. Some will bow in this life and find redemption, His mercy and His grace as we turn and bow our knee to the Savior who died at Calvary. All will bow on that day of judgment. Fortunately, many will bow on that day of judgment to eternal damnation and eternally bow even in bitterness because they would not recognize it now. Because they would not bow the knee in this life. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The, the majesty of Christmas is Jesus. <laughs> The, the beauty, the splendor, the the quality of, of 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 character that draws us to be captivated. The the majesty of Christmas is Christ and what Jesus did, what he accomplished in his his coming and his death and in his resurrection, that, that he came to live a life for you and me, to die upon a cross for you and me, that you and me might be forgiven that we might be redeemed, and He lives eternally now to give eternal life to any and all who bow the knee and confess Him as Lord, who turn and and say, God, I, I believe You sent Your Son Jesus to die upon a cross for my sins. I know I'm unable to save myself. I know you did it all through Him. And He was crucified, buried, and raised again. And I, I turn and confess Him as Lord and Savior. I call out to you. Save me in His name. Most all of you, many of you in here, at some point in your life, you've turned to God and you've bowed that knee and you've believed upon Jesus as, as Lord and His Savior. Be reminded of the grace in which you stand this Christmas. Don't pass it by, but be renewed in your awe of the love of God that's been poured out for you through Christ Jesus being born in that manger that He came a baby born to die. But He's not dead in the tomb. He's alive. He's glorified. He's living eternally as our mediator. And He gives eternal life to us all. And guess what? Someday He's coming again to make all of this mess right. Create a new heaven and a new earth. Be renewed. here this morning, and you may not have a moment in your life yet that you bow to (sighs) me. No better time than Christmas season to bow down before Christ, to confess Him as Lord and His Savior, to turn in dependence upon Him, and to believe upon Him as Lord and His Savior. If you've never done that, as I close now, even in prayer, I beg you, turn in prayer, confess Him as Lord and Savior, even your heart the scriptures say that God has raised him from the dead and you shall be saved for whosoever calls upon the Lord shall be saved that includes you God's grace reaches all sinners just repent, turn find salvation bow the knee, find he's a God who saves this morning Heavenly Father we come to you and I pray for all of us who are your children that you would renew sense of all within our hearts this Christmas season, that we would never get over Christ, that we would never get over, uh, no matter how many times we celebrate it, the fact that you loved us enough to give Jesus to come to this earth to take on human flesh, to take on our weaknesses, in order that he might die at Calvary, to pay the penalty for our sins, that we might be forgiven, in order that he might be exalted and raised to eternal life, that he may death in the grave and give to us even that same power over the grave that same eternal life Lord what a beauty it is what a majesty it is at Christmas to reflect upon the gospel for all of us who know it I pray you, you just ground us in it even more Lord help us now even to rejoice with a heart of gratitude to you Lord for any here who have never come to that place of bowing a knee before Christ I pray they would do it now because the Lord all will someday Lord, how much better it is now to bow and find forgiveness and redemption than it is then to bow and find condemnation. Lord, work, I pray, draw people to Christ. I ask it in Jesus' name.